If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 5 again. When we began this look at this great thing called justification by faith, I had no idea how short or long it might be. I didn't set out with a goal. I'm going to preach five messages or ten or whatever. I just You start diving into the text of Holy Scripture, and as you dig and compare Scripture to Scripture, and as you look up what God has said about such things, I've just been overwhelmed at the depth of this passage, Romans 5. And we're talking about justification by faith. Do you remember what justification is? Uh, I've given you the definition, I think, in every message. Let me do it again. Justification is the legal act of God whereby he declares a believing sinner who believes on Jesus, he declares that man or woman righteous in his sight. Taking the perfect righteousness of Jesus and putting it in our account so that at that moment we will never be more righteous before God than we are right then. And yet God doesn't just stop with justification. He then begins a process to actually make us more and more like his son. Whittling away, sanding away, burning away like a refiner burns away the dross, like a master carpenter takes off that rough edge. God is building and sanctifying his people to mature us. Is that always a fun process? Sometimes it's a painful process. Sometimes it's a very humiliating and humbling thing when God shows us a revelation about ourselves and we realize, wow, I'm not as far along as I thought I was. I'm ashamed that I'm not. But that's a good thing to see that. That you might press on, beloved, press on toward the high calling that God has called us. Focus now with me. Focus your hearts and your minds. We're looking at what are the results of that. If we are justified by faith, which is what Romans 5.1 says, what then? What does it mean? What are the blessings we know because of that? Let's read the text now. Romans 5.1, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's result number one. We have peace with God. The war is over. The war is over. We have been brought close to him, and he is no longer a judge that frowns upon our lives. He is now a father who adopts us and takes us in and and tells us we have peace with him through our Lord Jesus Christ. Second result, verse 2, by whom... Also, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We stand in grace. There's the second result. We are not condemned any longer. We are accepted. We're not under God's wrath any longer. We're now under God's constant favor as his children because of what Jesus did for us. Beloved, what we're trying to do is magnify the work of Jesus. Look at what Jesus has done. Look at what we receive because of that. We have a standing, 
permanent standing in grace. We will never know condemnation. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There is no separation. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No condemnation, no separation, no wrath. This is the grace wherein we stand. Only the gospel of Jesus gives us this. Man-made religion can't give it. Morality can't give it. Only the perfect, beautiful work of Christ as our substitute, our mediator, brings us into such a favored position. Are y'all even understanding what I'm saying? Okay. We stand in grace. Third result, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're looking across just over the horizon. We're on our tiptoes and we're looking, what does the future hold? Somebody says, well, nobody knows what the future holds. Well, that's not true. Somebody knows what the future holds. God does. And he's told us what it holds. You know what he's told us? He says, you who have been justified and who now have peace with me, who stand in grace, here's what your future looks like. It's glorious. So we know what the future holds. We rejoice in it. We rejoice as we look forward to. That's what the word hope means. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Hope is faith looking forward. We look forward in faith and we see the glory of God is the destiny of all God's people. It's not the destiny of all people, but it's the destiny of all God's redeemed people. You know, every time you go to a funeral, everybody's in a better place, they say. But there's a great number of those who die that are not in a better place. This is the best place they ever lived, planet Earth, because they died under the wrath of God. They died in their sins. They went to a far worse, horrible place called hell. But those that know Christ, those that have been washed in his precious blood, those that have been justified, declared righteous by God because of what Jesus did as their substitute, when they die, they go to a better place. They enter into that glorious state called glory land. They see the glory of God. They will run, they receive a glorified body. So we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's the third result of justification. And fourthly, we're on this one now. We don't just rejoice in what's coming in the future. We rejoice in what's already here. We rejoice in the now, even if it's a troubled now. Verse 3, and not only so, but we glory or rejoice, it's the same word, we glory in tribulations also. So we look down the road and we rejoice at what God has planned for us. Amen. Look down the road in faith and you see what God has planned for us. And so, beloved, hold on a little bit longer, even if it gets real, real hard in the short run. It's going to get real, real good in the long run. So we rejoice in what's coming, but we rejoice even now, even in the tribulations. And how is that possible? Knowing. You see, we know some things. Knowing that tribulation produces patience or perseverance. Because we have Holy Scripture, we know some things. We know how to interpret some things. So here comes trouble, and instead of being overwhelmed... And downcast and just ready to give up, we say, ah, God's up to something here. 
God is bringing some trouble into my life so that he can change me and make me a better Christian. He can make me more mature. Trouble is his tool, and it is in his hand to take me, a justified believer. Just because we're justified don't mean we're going to have a smooth sailing to glory. In fact, we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom. The apostles went around and told those early Christians in Acts. They went back after they preached the gospel. They went back and visited those churches. And they said, stick with the Lord, whatever it may cost you. Cleave to the Lord with all your heart. And get ready for trouble because we must through much trouble enter the kingdom. Somehow we've forgotten that, I think, in America. Expect trouble. Get ready for it. It will usher us into a better day, a better better day, the kingdom of Christ. But we rejoice even in trouble now because it is God's means to sanctify us and to change us and to mature us. It will develop something in us through trouble that he wants to see in us. And you know what it is? It's called perseverance, endurance. God wants us to be a people that don't give up when trouble comes. When trouble comes, what are we going to do? Are we going to keep worshiping and praising God? Well, Satan says, no, they won't. If, if you let trouble come to them, Lord, they'll curse you. Remember he said that about Job? He said, the only reason Job praises you is because you've blessed him so much. But if you'll take away his blessings, Job will curse you. Remember that? And God says, let's see if he will. I'm going to prove a point to you and the whole universe and all of history. I'm going to let you at him. And Satan attacks Job and he, he strips him of everything he has. And Job says, the Lord gave. And now the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Satan was a liar as was proved on that grand day. And we are not serving God because of what God gives us, are we? So if trouble comes and we lose this or that, we're going to endure. We're going to stick fast on what we have and what we know. We're not going to fall by the wayside. I have been here 33 years this upcoming Easter. And in my little experience that's about that big, I don't have much experience, just a little bit of life experience, but I've seen in 33 years a lot of people that did not endure. They didn't persevere. Trouble came. And they fizzled out, they burned out, they fell out. And that is a sad commentary because tribulation produces perseverance or endurance, and endurance produces proof. It's translated here in the King James experience. Some translations say proven character. The word really means proof. You're tried and you're approved because you didn't give up. Perseverance is the proof. Christians don't give up. Where else shall we go, by the way? When trouble comes, where else are we going to go? We're going to run over there for help? Will the world help us? Uh, Can can I fix me if I have trouble? Am I to look within and, and figure out how can I do this? Are we humbled by trouble so that we look up and cry out to God and we see God as God always is? We see Him faithful. Perseverance is the proof. That's what we want to talk about today. 
We rejoice in trouble because we know that trouble is producing in us something called endurance that God wants his people to be. An enduring, persevering, steadfast people. And that, like a chain reaction, leads to proof. It proves that we're his when we don't give up. I've seen people get their feathers ruffled, their feelings hurt. And somebody hurt them a little bit and they just, they just dropped out. Dropped out of church. They didn't leave here and go to another church, just dropped out. And they sit home today cutting grass or reading the paper or whatever and feel totally justified. I'm, I'm not in church, but that's okay because somebody hurt me. I want to say... Christians endure hardships. They stick with it. They're not so easily swayed and moved. This will be a world of hurt. Somebody's always going to hurt you. And you're going to always hurt others. It's just part of living in the world. There will be misunderstandings. There will be misinterpreted tones and looks. Well, she raised her eyebrow when she said that. And so I know she was mocking me. No. No, she, she might not. Don't, don't put the worst spin possible in every imaginable situation. Love will cover that over. Love will think the best, not the worst of everybody. Love bears all things, 1 Corinthians 13 says, which means it bears with those things and it doesn't suspect that that little twitch of an eyebrow meant they hate, hate me and they're against me. Beloved, there's going to be enough trouble without us imagining things. Amen? <laughs> People are so easily offended, easily hurt. Sometimes the pulpit, something said in the pulpit, something I said, and I didn't say it just the way it, it, it came across a little rough maybe. Maybe it was even awkward. Maybe it was even... Uh, Inappropriate, and, I, and I'm a flawed messenger. You all know that, as, as all messengers are, except our God. But he has entrusted precious things into feet of clay and lips of clay, and sometimes we say things that maybe is not clear or maybe it's perceived as hurtful or a personal attack, and somebody drops out. They give up. They don't endure thought about this through the years. I thought about preachers that I have known through the years. Some of them not only got out of the ministry and quit preaching, but they denied Christ, and now some of them claim to be atheists. How do you explain that? How do you explain such a reversal, a, a man that stood in the pulpit and preached and now is writing books pro-atheism? Well, he didn't endure in the faith. He made a good start, perhaps, but somewhere along the line, he dropped the baton, and he's disqualified in the race, and then he stands in the grandstand criticizing all the runners. He didn't endure. There's a well-known, well, there's several, in fact, well-known musicians, writers, musicians that both write and play that now have come out as homosexual and denying the faith. And I could name several names and you would probably know them. 
How do you explain that? They didn't endure. God allows trouble to come to make his people put some roots down and endure the hardships. And the endurance is the proof that we're his. We don't go back to the world. We don't go back to our former sins that we used to love and cling to and justify. We all sin. But sin grieves a Christian. We don't advocate for it. We don't justify it. We don't say, well, it's the way God made me. We say, woe is me, and I don't want to sow sin against my God. A Christian battles against his sin. A Christian grieves, is grieved by his sin. A Christian confesses sin. This is how you know a Christian. It's one of the birthmarks. First John, if we confess our sins, we don't say, I've not sinned. We don't say, God made me this way. We don't say, God loves me just like this and don't require me any change. We say, oh, that I wouldn't continue these grievous sins against my God. It grieves me that I'm a, such a vile sinner still. Yes, I'm justified, but there's so much about me that's not yet sanctified. And to know that I could be so treacherous against such a kind God, such a good God, grieves me like nothing else can grieve me. Now, that's how Christians should think, isn't it? A true believer will persevere in the faith. If you have a preacher, a musician, who is now an atheist or is now someone antagonistic to the Scriptures, here's what you can be absolutely sure of. Either it is a temporary lapse and they will repent and come back or they never were a Christian. It's one of those two. Peter had a temporary lapse, do you remember? Here's Peter, the chief apostle, and he's standing there warming his hands at the fire while Jesus is being tried. And somebody says, you were with Jesus? And Peter said, no, I wasn't. I don't know him. Peter, you just denied the Lord. Well, he's not done yet, is he? Somebody else speaks up and says, yes, you were. I saw you with him. He says, I'm going to tell you again. Let me make it plain. I don't know him. I wasn't with him. And he's looking around now, probably sweating. He don't need to warm himself by the fire anymore. He's, uh, he's right warm. And somebody the third time says, I know you were one of his disciples. Your very speech gives you away. And he says, with curses and with an oath and he calls down the curse of God upon him he says I tell you the truth and may God kill me if I'm lying I don't know that man that was Peter talking denying Jesus and about that time the rooster crows and Jesus turns and looks at Peter and Peter begins to weep bitterly Peter's lapse was temporary. It was a horrible lapse. It was an awful fall. And we're familiar with them, aren't we? Those temporary horrible times when we so utterly fail the Lord. But for the real Christian, it's a temporary lapse and we will come back. Peter wept bitterly. Jesus restores him there at the seaside breakfast when he 
gives Peter three times a chance to confess him. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Second time, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? And he denied him three times, and Jesus gives him a chance now three times to confess him publicly, and he does it with grief in his heart. And Jesus says, now I want you to feed my sheep. Jesus restores Peter. Peter fell grievously, but it was a temporary fall. Unlike Judas, Judas, also one of the 12, failed miserably. And it wasn't a temporary, it was a fatal fall. And so when a professing Christian does not persevere, does not stand firm, our prayer is that it'll be temporary. And we pray for them and we say, oh Lord, bring them back. Bring back the backsliders. Bring back the faint in heart. Bring back those that have been pulled back into this world ever so slightly. Bring them back to their first love. Bring them back into the Word. Bring them back into the fellowship of your people. And we pray that God will do that, and God can and has. But if they never come back, then we can know that 1 John 2.19, 1 John 2.19 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. And John is there talking about the Antichrists, he calls them. They were once in the church. They were once with the assembly, but they went out now and they're denying Christ. They went out now and they're fighting against the gospel that they once claimed to believe. And John says, though they were once with us, they were really not of us. Because Christians persevere. We say, to whom shall we go? Who else is is our Savior? Who else can fit us to stand before God? Shall we depart from Christ? Beloved, that'd be spiritual suicide, wouldn't it? No, we cannot depart from Christ. Even if his providence seems rough and hard, even if the assignment he gives us is difficult, it causes us to turn to him. It causes us to seek him. It causes us to treasure him, not to blaspheme him, not to curse him, not to turn from him, but to to entreat him, to delight in him, to realize he is my only joy because all these other joys have been stripped away, but I've got one joy that's always present reality for me as a believer in Christ. I've got my Lord. So a faith that fizzles before the finish is a faith that was faulty at the first. And that's not just a tongue twister. It's a theologically sound statement, I believe. A faith that fizzles before the finish is a faith that was faulty at the first. Those who fall away and don't come back were never his. Our memory verse this week is John 8, 31. It was on the screen. And it says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. 
And of course, that next verse you all know. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Who are his true disciples? He says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. You are my true disciples if you continue doing those things I have taught you to do while I have been with you these three years. Christians continue. They don't give up. I thought, I thought about this in, in preparation for this message. I thought about so many in this church. You have for all these years walked with Christ. And I thought about some of your lives. You've seen some of your children die. You've seen your house burn. You've seen cancer come not once and not twice, but three or four times. You've seen children break your heart, go off into the world, and as of yet, maybe not come back. And you're still worshiping God. You're still hanging in there. As your bodies fall apart, you're still praising Jesus. In a world where, it's, where everybody says, don't be a fanatic, calm down, don't have such a high bar of Christian Fidelity. You don't have to be that kind of Christian. Be, be, down, be this kind of Christian. Lower it just as low as you can. Just do the bare minimum kind of Christianity. That's what the world is telling us. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and die. Be that kind of Christian. Don't be a, the lowest common denominator kind of follower. Be the one that says, I'm bought with a price. I don't belong to me. My Lord is in control. And whatever path He's marked out for me, I'll count it joy. And I've thought about many of you. I thought about the troubles that you've had in your life. I thought about miscarriages. I thought about divorces. I thought about pain that you've had in your life. And yet here you are, still going. I count that to the grace of God. I say God has held his people in his hand and you hadn't turned back from him because you're real. Perseverance is the proof. And so I'm urging you today not to be complacent and say, yes, we are, we're real. I'm saying continue to persevere, beloved, because it's a slippery world we walk in and it's easy to slip. And it's easy for Satan, the great enemy of, his pe- of God's people, the great enemy of God's people. He's a lion. We're called sheep. He's the lion that seeks whom he may devour. We better stay close to Christ who is the lion over the lion. He's the king over the kings. He's the Lord over lords. We must not be self-confident and complacent. We must be humble and totally dependent Praying like you've never prayed before these days. Amen? Pray. Study the scriptures. Get in the word like you've never been in the word. The times are desperate. I pray that you and I will be just as devoted more so than we've ever been. Trouble produces endurance. And endurance is the proof. In Acts chapter 2, we read that the new believers continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. 
they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They didn't embrace every new doctrine that came along, every fad that came along. Some people are just tasters of new doctrine all the time. They hear something new. They see something exciting, something that's a little different twist. They just run to it. We're to stay firm and continue steadfastly, devoting ourselves to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and prayer. Continuing, beloved, continue on. Paul told Timothy, continue in the things which you have learned. 2 Timothy 3.14, continue in what you have learned. In Acts chapter 11, verse 23, Barnabas goes to Antioch, and here's what he says. It says, he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. With resolute heart, says the New American Standard, with resolute, resolved heart, They would cleave or stick close to the Lord. Stay close to the Lord, whatever it may cost you. That's what Barnabas was telling them. Continue on. Remain or continue. Hold fast to the Lord. That's the proof that you're His. In Acts chapter 14... Jews come down from Antioch and Iconium... And they persuade the people to kill Paul. And they stone him to death. And they dragged him out of the city. And the disciples stand around looking at him. And all of a sudden, Paul shakes himself and dusts himself off and stands up. And goes back into the city. And it says, they preached the gospel to that city. And they said... Continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom. Was Paul a living object lesson or what? They've just killed him, apparently, but he's not dead. He gets up, dusts himself off. He's bleeding, bruised. He goes back into the city. They preach the gospel to the city, and he tells the believers in the city, continue in the faith and expect a lot of trouble. It's how you get into the kingdom. But don't give up when it comes. Continue on. Part of the new covenant promise, this is glorious right here. In Jeremiah 31 and 32, we have the beautiful description of the new covenant that Jesus instituted. And part of that new covenant, God says, I will not depart from my people and I will work in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Jeremiah 32, 40. It's a beautiful promise. It's part of the new covenant. God says, I will so guarantee I will not depart from them and I will work in them in such a way that they will not depart from me. It's how you see who's real, beloved. His sheep follow him. They don't follow a hireling. They don't turn to another shepherd. They follow the voice of the shepherd. They hear his voice and follow So those who have lapsed, let's pray for them. Let's pray that it's temporary, that they'll come back. It grieves me to think of so many 
I'm not gray-headed because I'm old. I'm a young man. Amen. I'm gray-headed because I'm a pastor. I really believe that. And I have watched so many turn away. In Acts 26, we looked at 13 and, or excuse me, 11 and 14. In Acts 26, there's a testimony of the Apostle Paul before King Agrippa. And he says in verse 22, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day. Because God has helped me, I continue to this day, witnessing to the small and the great saying none of the things except what the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ would suffer, be the first to rise from the dead, and would show light to the Gentiles. Paul before Festus. You remember the parable of the sower, when Jesus told the parable the sower went out to sow? There's four kinds of soil. It's good seed, real good seed. It's the Word of God. The seed is not faulty at all. It's a good seed. Sometimes you go to the feed store, the seed store, and you buy some seed, and it don't come up. You plowed, you fertilized it, you watered it, and it just didn't come up. Somehow the seed was faulty. You'll find that occasionally, unfortunately. But in this parable, the parable of the sower, there is no fault with the seed He tells us the seed is the word of God. And so the seed is good. The problem is with the soils. There's four kinds of soils. Some seed falls by the wayside. And it's hard. It's the footpaths where people walk all the time. And they beat it down and pack it. And it's so hard the seed never penetrates it. It just lays on top of the soil. And the birds come and eat it. And Jesus says that's the kind of people that hear the word of God and don't understand it. And Satan just snatches it away immediately. It never takes root in their lives. Their hearts have been trampled on by this world so long. Their heart is so hard, the Word of God never penetrates. It just lays there, and Satan easily snatches it away. And then he said, some falls by this kind of soil. It falls in, not the footpath, but it falls in part of the field. It's been plowed, but there's a problem. There's some rock just under the surface. And so the seed comes up, but it can't put any roots down because there's rock there, and all the growth is up. And he said, that's the kind of people, they hear the word and they immediately respond. It looks good and promising. They respond with much enthusiasm. But then the sun begins to shine hot. And because they have no root, they wither. And they're scorched and they never produce fruit. And Jesus said, that's the kind of person that is an emotional hearer. They hear it. They respond. Maybe they weep. Maybe they show much emotion, much promise. But just a little bit of trouble comes along. And they wither, and they don't bear fruit. And then the third kind of soil, the seed falls, and in that soil there are other seeds, like thorns. And the new plant comes up, and the thorns come up with it, and it begins to intertwine, and the thorns choke out the good seed. And Jesus says, those are the kind of people, they hear the word and the cares of this life, and their lust for money, and their lust for comfort, And their desire for other things. This earthly life trumps out any kind of spiritual and eternal life. 
This world trumps the next world. The material trumps the spiritual. And the thorns choke them out and they never produce any fruit. So you've got three kinds of soil, no fruit. Those are false professors is what those are. They're not Christians that fall away. They're those that never produce the fruit of a Christian. Three of the four. And then the fourth kind. The seed falls. It takes root. They hear it and understand it. And they bear fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Just as there are three kinds of bad soil, there's three kinds of levels of fruit for this true Christian. Not everybody's equally fruitful. Some bear a hundredfold, some bear 60, some 30, but every Christian bears fruit, the fruit of a Christian. You're not like brother so-and-so, and you're not like sister so-and-so, but if you're one of his, you will be a fruitful believer. You may be a 30-fold kind, or you may be a hundred. But there's the true believer. Of the four, there's one kind of soil that hears the word, receives it, and bears fruit. There's the true Christian. And so you see it even in the parable of Jesus. It's not the temporary that are the true. It's the enduring ones that are true. It's the ones that persevere. Perseverance is the proof, beloved. That's the sermon in a nutshell. Perseverance is the proof. Tribulation produces endurance. And endurance produces proof. You face the test and you endure it. And you have God's approval that you're really His. So I urge you, whatever the days ahead may have for us, whatever God in His providence may allow to come to us as professing Christians in the 21st century in the United States of America, whatever may come, do the right thing even if it's the hard thing. Persevere in the faith even if we become outlaws doing so. Even if it becomes illegal. Are you prepared for that? And we're not far from that, really. Will we take the easy route? Or will we be numbered among the the saints of, of all human history that said, Jesus is worth more than this life, even. And I know I hear, I hear the air conditioner running in here. I see padded pews and carpet. It's easy to say such things in comfort, isn't it? When nobody's holding a gun on us and nobody's threatening us and we're still relatively free. But what if all that changes? Prove that you're his by your lifestyle that doesn't give up and turn back away from him. That will be the proof. There's so many other scriptures we could, we could look at. John 15, 9, continue in my love. He says, continue in my love. Peter talks about those that they've been washed, but like a pig that's washed, it goes right back to the mire. And a dog eats and then vomits and then eats its vomit. It's an awful picture. It's a picture of a false teacher. They're not a true sheep. They're a dog and a hog. They're a hog that you wash externally, but you haven't changed the nature of that hog. And so that washed hog goes right back to the mire because he's a hog. 
It's his nature. He loves the mire. And that dog does awful dog things. Nasty things. He feels better because he gets rid of his problem. And then he turns around and eats what he got rid of. It's an awful thing. And Peter says, that's the false prophets. You've got to watch them. Watch out for them. They will doom you if you listen to them. They did not continue in the faith. They turned from the faith. James says, blessed is the man that endures temptation. He endures trouble. He will receive the crown of life because he endured. James 1.12 God is writing the story. God knows who is his. What a gracious God he is. Before he brings judgment in this world and on this world, he is now withholding that judgment and giving grace to all sinners who would come to him. Come to him if you're not his. Run to him if you're not his. And then continue with him with courage and with commitment. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. Saints will persevere. It's one of their marks. We also believe in the preservation of the saints. We will persevere and push through and not give up because it is God who preserves us. Blessed be His name. Perseverance is the proof I've looked through the years at Christians who have walked with the Lord for years. I I told a man yesterday, I said, it's not too late for you to finish well. You're not doing very well at the moment. He admitted as much. I said, but look, you can change this score. You can can turn this course. You you can write the course here. you You can still finish well if you would. I've seen so many finish good, finish well, finish strong. Right up to the end, right through pain and problems and being crippled and being diseased and being heartbroken, being crushed. And yet they're still sweet in spirit and worshiping Jesus. How do I explain that except by the grace of God holding you up and giving you such a hope that I am one of his because look at what he's brought me through. I didn't expect, I didn't sign up for smooth, easy paths. I read the fine print. It wasn't fine. It was bold print, actually. The prosperity preachers say, they use the bait and switch. Come to Jesus and we'll give you, he'll give you success and health and, and money and fame. And you'll be the head, not the tail and blah, blah. You won't be in debt. You won't even be bald. I saw him this week. Saw Kenneth Copeland do it. Put your hands on your head. And I say, baldness be gone and hair grow. And he laughed that little demon laugh. We say Jesus is worth dying for. We don't follow him because he gives us goodies. And if he gives me a hard path for 20 years or 30, I'll just endure it. Because it's going to come to an end real, real soon. And this light affliction, which is but for a moment, will produce a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory.
Press on, beloved. Press on. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. Let's stand. Pray, Father, that your word would be our joy this day as we hear your sweet voice to us in it. We think of the words of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, that you, Lord Jesus, endured the cross. You endured it. You despised the shame. You're now seated at the right hand of the Father. Our Father, your Father. And you have left us a bloody footpath to follow. It will bruise our feet as well to walk this path. There will be thorns in it. Maybe not for our head as, it, as yours, but certainly for our feet. And it will remind us how carefully we must walk. And we must walk it. We must not give up. We must run with endurance the race that is before us. Run with patience. Run with steadfastness this race. Because there's one at the finish line to commend His people who finish well. So help us, Lord, to rejoice not only in the glory to come, but to rejoice in tribulations knowing that Tribulation produces endurance. And endurance approval or proof that we're yours. And that in turn, just like the links in a chain, produces a great hope one day to be fulfilled. Strengthen these, my brothers and sisters. Reclaim those, Lord, that have slipped. May their laps be temporary. May their repentance be Soon and total. May we be able to, Lord, rejoice in a, in a sheep that was brought back. And you know who the sheep are. You are a good shepherd. You will one day divide the flock as a shepherd would divide sheep from goats. And you will put the sheep on your right hand and you will say, come inherit this kingdom that was prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And you will say to the goats on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And yet you, our God, the living God, you are our Abba, Father through the work of your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for this we praise you in Jesus' name.